Joining us now, the man behind TK News, Matt Taibbi himself. Great to see you, Matt. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, Crystal. Sawyer, how are you doing? Good Very well. Um, let's go ahead and put your latest piece uh, that we were all reading up there on the screen. You say, Orwell was right. <laughs> From free speech to spheres of influence to our passion for endless war, we become the double thinkers 1984 predicted. So, Matt, just give us your kind of overall view of how the war is being received and talked about here in this country. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I read this book every time I get really, really depressed. And um, Does it make you more so or less we, depressed when you read it? <laughs> it, it goes both ways. Uh, but but in, in this case, you know, I was really thinking about the, the uh, sort of effortless way in which we switched from being completely enraged about the unvaccinated to feeling, uh, to moving all of those emotions over toward to the Russians. Um and, and about the succession of panics that we've had in the news in the last uh, five, five or six years, especially, and what that's done to the national character and how similar that is to what Orwell was describing uh, in 1984, where essentially he was saying that the, the ritualistic uh, expressions of anger were designed to sort of keep people constantly in the present and to make them forget the past uh, in any context that might be important to remember. And I think that's that's kind of what's going on with this Russia thing. Um, you know, that they, they want people to not think about uh, a whole variety of uh, background issues involving this story. And uh, it just seems like everybody's in this kind of two minutes hate mode uh, about the entire issue. Yeah, I think this is important, Matt, which is that this kind of freak out that we're seeing, and I'd like for you to bring your perspective as somebody who lived in Russia at the most critical time, really, of modern Russian history, where everything seemed up for grabs. You had these rapacious oligarchs, and then there's a massive financial collapse, but then now everybody has blue jeans and McDonald's. I mean, in the context of people there who you know, probably some of your friends you can still read or keep in touch with with them. How is this kind of Russophobia, kind of two-minute hate madness, how is that going to play over in Russia, given the trauma that they have been through over the last couple, 20, 25 years? I think for ordinary Russians, the, the idea that they're going to be held responsible for the insanity of their leaders is, it's nothing new. On the one hand, they're, they're used to it. Um, mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I think that it's profoundly disappointing, and it's the end of a really a 30-year story uh, about their disenchantment from the West. You know, when I first got to Russia in – it was still the Soviet Union in 1989 uh, when I studied there. I lived there for almost a decade. When I first got there, Americans were held in the highest regard – you, um, if you had a blue passport, you no, you wouldn't have to pay for a drink anywhere. Everybody was hmm. anxious to meet you, and uh, everybody was was so interested in the West and wanted so badly to be part um, of you know the democracy and and you know the the sort of capitalistic plenty that they've been told about. Uh, they'd all listened to VOA, uh, and then hmm. over the course of the 90s, especially uh, when shock therapy was imposed in, in Russia, there was this steady disenchantment with with what the West was up to in that part mm -hmm. of the world. And I, I think 
you know, what Putin was really, his popularity grew out of the fact that he was the first Russian politician of that era to to stand up to the West. Now, I'm not excusing that. I'm just saying that that's, that's, that's part of the explanation for his popularity as opposed to Yeltsin. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting uh, what you just said there, because you said there is an enthusiasm for, like, the capitalistic plenty. That's what we were sold, like the McDonald's in Moscow and the, you know, the blue jeans and Coca-Cola yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but that there was also an enthusiasm for democracy. Didn't get that part so much. Um, what what happened? Why was the, I mean, I basically know the answer, but I want to hear your perspective. Why was the capitalism part, that part was fulfilled, but the other piece of the the openness and the democratic reforms that would give ordinary Russians more of a voice in society right now, how did that fall apart? Well, I think it's actually tied to the economic part. There, there were there were two really important moments in the 90s. There was the referendum in 1993, which a lot of international organizations agreed was fixed in favor of Boris Yeltsin. It was it was very close either way, but uh, he, he likely actually lost that election. Uh, then there were in between between 1993 and 1996, 97, there was a series of privatizations uh, where companies the size of Exxon and Microsoft or uh, they were basically handed to cronies of Yeltsin for pennies in the dollar. And this instant oligarch class was created with our help. We we heavily advised in the process of designing these uh, these privatizations. There was uh, in particular a, a series of auctions called the loans for shares auctions that helped create the oligarchs that we hear about so much in the news. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were instrumental in helping design those processes. And what happened in the wake of those uh, privatizations is that essentially there was a backroom deal that these people were going to be handed these companies and gifted enormous wealth in return for bankrolling Boris Yeltsin's political career and making sure that he uh, prevailed in the 1996 presidential election. And so a lot of Russians, you know, they saw that there was this instantaneous, massive wealth gap. In a way, Russia was really a preview of what would happen in much of the West later. Uh, you know, there was the, the discontent that we see in, in America and over Brexit and, and places like that. This idea of anger about the wealth gap and elites. Russians started early down that road in the mid-90s because of the way that society was designed in the wake of communism. You know, we were so intent on smashing the old model that we – I think the our advice helped create uh, a kind of warped, uh, almost like a parody style of American capitalism. Hmm. See, I think this is very important because a lot of people just don't really know that much about Russia. They don't really understand how a guy like Putin is even popular in the first place and how his worldview, which, look, at the extreme, the paranoia and the restoration of the Russian Empire, is rooted in a popular sentiment within Russia, which is we got screwed by this whole deal. And that is what gives him the power in order to enact perhaps his most outlandish uh efforts within the country. I guess from our perspective, Matt, is there anything that the West can do in order to restore good relations with the Russian people? I mean, like, how how would we go about that mm-hmm. if it were to even exist? Yeah, it's, 
it's a little late now, I yeah. think. Um, <laughs> which is too bad because I think there, there was an enormous opportunity for Russia to at least be a strategic and economic partner. Um, you know, even as late as the late 90s, early 2000s, I think that, that possibility was still there. Uh, people also forget that that Putin was originally brought in uh, to the government by Boris Yeltsin primarily because he had helped secure uh, the flight abroad of his former boss, the mayor of um, St. Petersburg, Anatoly Sobchak, who was one of the most famous early Democrats in Russia. Uh -huh. And Yeltsin was impressed by the fact that uh, he, that Putin had helped this guy escape prosecution uh, on corruption charges. And mm -hmm. so Putin was really brought in initially to help make sure that Boris Yeltsin would not be pursued on corruption charges because he was facing them at the time um, when he left office. Now, after he became president is when he sort of turned on the West. But initially he was one of ours. Like he, he was a person that mo most of the people, the Western commentators, the Western politicians, the diplomats in town. I mean, I was there during this time, the expats, they all were saying things like, well, yeah, he was in the KGB, but by the seventies, the KGB wasn't so bad. You know, like that, <laughs> yeah, right. that, that was kind of the attitude. <laughs> uh, and, and then suddenly, you know, obviously there was a, there was a big sea change about that a few years after he, he assumed the presidency, but mm. not initially. I mean, there was like a three or four year period there where, where Putin was considered a good guy by much of the American population in town, or, or at least a significant portion of it. Right. Hmm. Um, I want to get your reaction to this uh, poll that I saw floating around. It's from YouGov, and they asked the question, which do you think best describes Russia? 42% said communist, 13% said socialist, 11% said capitalist, and 17% said something else. What do you make of that, Matt? Uh, <laughs> that was basically I mean, what I made of it, too. It's so depressing. I mean, this, this, is, this, this is like the whole—remember that Donna Brazil tweet? What was where it? She was Donna Brazil. She was where she she tweeted something about how the communists are still dictating the terms of the debate. This was mm -hmm. during during the RussiaGate mess. Oh my god! Um, yeah, no, there's 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 tremendous. Uh, it's almost like this archaic hangover from the the Cold War era, and people have a really difficult time grappling with the idea that Russia and the Soviet Union are are different countries. Um, and that the people there are, you know, they, there hasn't been communism in Russia in a long time. And, and, and Putin, although he has uh, some nostalgia for the Soviet Union, he's not communist in any way that would. Right. He doesn't want to be. be he doesn't, he doesn't he want to be communist. He the exactly. power of the yeah. Soviet Union yeah. and the world right. prestige and the sort of imperial nature of it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but but certainly not the any of the economic aspects of it are um, are not attractive to him. He's he's a nationalist. He's a, he's sort of a classic Pinochet style, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of nationalist strongman is what he is. But the, the communists, no. Uh, and, and it's 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 kind of amazing that the people that that percentage of Americans still think that way. But uh, I guess they do. You know, use then the example of what happened in Russia and then bring bring it to our example here at home. We have calls now uh, by popular figures, politicians to jail or call treason, political opponents, any questioning 
of the official narrative, a total crackdown on state media, on channels, which, look, I mean, I personally, we find it useful personally to find, as a newscaster, to say, hey, this is what they're saying. This is what we're thinking. This is the Russian propaganda. This is the Russian propaganda, like, just so you're aware, but this is what they think, and that could help you then calibrate. When you see all of this happening um, in the context of your experience in Russia and watching the crackdown and all of that happen, are you afraid? Like, what do you what do you think the consequences of this could be? I'm I'm very afraid. I'm very I'm, yeah. I'm made very nervous by it. I, I was again I was in Russia when the Putin really accelerated the crackdown against the media. It it actually started much earlier uh, under Yeltsin. Um, you know, as, as early as 1994, there were. Uh, important investigative reporters in Russia being killed by like exploding briefcases and things like that. There was a guy named Dima Holodov uh, who was uh, who was killed. And but then in 1999 and 1990, when Putin came on the scene, um, you know there were friends of mine who worked at places like Novaya Gazeta uh, who were beaten, and then eventually a, a couple of them were even killed uh, for looking into things like the apartment bombing scandal. Um, and at the time, you know, there were, there was a small minority of us who were saying, this is good. This is a really bad, uh, indicator of what this, this regime is going to be like. He's already beating and cracking down on, uh, the media. He's closing up, uh, companies like Media Most, which was, uh, uh, owned NTV, which was the last sort of independent news uh, TV station uh, in in Russia at the time. Now he's gone full full bore into this um, much more extreme version of controlling everything or trying to control everything. And, you know, outlawing the use of the word war, for instance, to describe what's going on in, in Ukraine. Uh, and you know, I would think, looking at this as an American, that this would be a way for us to sort of re-evaluate uh, our own values and say, wow, this is what we don't want to be, right? Like we mm-hmm. we don't want to be Vladimir Putin, who's so desperate to control every piece of information that um, we're cracking down on everything. And that's, that's kind of what we're not seeing. I, I think what we're seeing instead is this desperation uh, to use every tool imaginable to make sure that, you know, that, that, uh, not only the, the Russian point of view that Russian state media is not seen, um, but that individuals may not even express uh, or even relay uh, what what the Russians are saying about a certain mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and it, it's amazing to me that Americans don't even see the, the, the logical connection between something like outlawing BBC and VOA in Russia and, and, and taking RT off the air in America and Europe. Like, like they... They, they don't see a connection between that at all. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. Thanks so much for watching, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, you guys are the ones who are supporting us. It's a perilous time. Crystal and I have been talking. We've never been more afraid of getting taken off of YouTube for something that we didn't even do, you know, or for trying to present the news in the most objective manner, especially at a time when we are trying to build up as many resources as possible, all these partnerships and expansion for the midterms to give you the best news possible. So it's terrifying uh, landscape out here. You guys are the ones who enable it. And we really appreciate it. So thank you. Love you guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon.
Hey guys, thanks so much for watching. That's right. Just as a reminder, you can become a premium subscriber today. Watch the full show completely uncut. Our reactions to each other's monologues. You get to listen to it. You get to ask us questions. All that good stuff. Link is right there in the description or at breakingpoints.com. Best of all, great way to say screw you to the mainstream media.